When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Kyle, what up, my boy? Not much. It's a stormy night in Tampa, but we'll be all right. So I got, I got my I got my dog in here, so don't be surprised if you guys see him kind of come in, in and out of frame every now and then. But, um, Kev, let's get to these topics. So first things first, we'll go over the Eastern and Western Conference Finals matchups that are currently ongoing, as it currently is right now. The Suns and the Clippers are playing game three. We'll probably touch on that by the end of the episode. Maybe if that game goes to final, we may talk about it a little bit, but we'll kind of see how that game goes. But we'll first start with the series that's going on between Milwaukee and Atlanta. So as it currently stands, Atlanta is up 1-0 in the series after a surprising road victory against Milwaukee in game one. So Kevin and I will dive into that a little bit, probably give our predictions for game two. Like I mentioned, we'll talk a little bit about the Clippers and the Sun series as well. And then we'll transition into baseball. And we're going to talk a little bit about this substance check thing that has been going on in the last couple of weeks. MLB implemented that rule probably less than a month ago. And you're already starting to see some results take place on the field. And some of the pitchers have had some pretty verbal reactions to the substance checks. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And then we may just wrap up the episode with a little bit of coaching news in the NBA. We believe uh, the Nets, excuse me, not the Nets, the Mavs could be potentially looking at Jason Kidd as their next head coach after Rick Carlisle resigned from that position just a couple of weeks ago. And since I mentioned Rick Carlisle, he just signed with the Indiana Pacers. He will be the next head coach for Indiana, but that's pretty much the rundown for this episode. You guys, like I said, we'll talk about Milwaukee versus Atlanta. So game one took place in Milwaukee last night, but it'll be two days when the episode releases. So Kev, this was a fantastic game from beginning to end. Um, back and forth, but Atlanta was able to make some plays at the end and they were able to squeak out a really close, tightly contested game one in Milwaukee. Just kind of give me your sense of how you see this series progressing as we get into the later games. Trey Young just seems unguardable this postseason. Trey Young is just absolutely unstoppable and in what seems to be every facet of his game. The man had 48 points the other night. He's just, it's incredible. He shot 50% from the field. He was 17 at 34. 
He had 11 assists. He had seven boards. He's got a little bit of a turnover issue this postseason. He had six. I know he had eight in one of the games against the Sixers the other day. Um, But overall, as a whole, he's just a problem. He's a mismatch nightmare, and it just seems that he is going to continue to dominate this postseason. He's got some form of confidence. He's got something in his head that's just clicking, saying, yo, they can't guard me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody else in the team is contributing. John Collins had 23 points with 15 rebounds. Capella had uh, 19 rebounds and 12 points. Herter had 13 points. So, I mean, you know, everybody's kind of doing their thing. I am a little disappointed that uh, Lou Williams is really, really underperforming this postseason. I believe he only had maybe one or two good, maybe okay games this postseason. He only had three last night in 12 minutes. So, I'm just overall impressed by the Hawks, but at the same time, I'm just underwhelmed with the Bucks. man. They're just, they're not doing it. They have so many series this postseason that they just start off so slow and offensively as a team. They're just not a team that I can see really making it to that next level. I mean, Drew Holiday and Giannis led the way for scoring and Chris Middleton, supposedly the second superstar in Milwaukee, only had 15 points. Giannis had 34, Drew had 33. Bobby Portis had 11. Who the hell is Bobby? Really? Like, it just Milwaukee is just lackluster in the postseason. I just genuinely think from the bottom of my heart, I don't see them winning an NBA championship with this roster as it is constructed. Giannis just doesn't seem like a player that's going to be able to carry a team and get it done with his ability, inability to shoot the basketball. And his, I guess he had a good night at the free throw line for the first time in a while he was six of eight from the free throw line, probably his best free throw performance for the postseason this year. But as a whole man, I just, you know, Milwaukee just ain't doing it for me. Atlanta continues to surprise me. And in order for Milwaukee to have a chance, they got to figure out what the hell to do with Trey young, man. You're talking about a guy that's like maybe six feet at best with his sneakers on that has been absolutely torching every single matchup he has come in contact with in this Eastern conference playoffs. And he actually broke an NBA record last night in reference to Trey Young. He was responsible for 72 of the Atlanta Hawks, 116 points, which I believe is not only an NBA record, but an NBA postseason record. Insane first postseason. And he's already breaking records like this. And he's already out here dropping a consistent 30, 30 almost like what, what is it? 30 a game at this point in the postseason. At least 30. it's crazy. It, it's just, it, it's unheard of for a guy in his first postseason run to do it this consistently in every round. And, I, I think Atlanta needs to get a lot more respect than what they've been getting. And, and I'm included in that bracket because I just genuinely, like you said last episode, I didn't expect them to go past the first round, let alone dominate their way through the Eastern Conference playoffs. So I like the series. I hope that Milwaukee makes it a little bit more competitive. We ruled them out a little too early in the Brooklyn series, but they ended up coming back in that in seven games, probably more so due to injury than skill. But it is what it is. I'm excited for the series, nevertheless, and I just think that Trey Young is much watch basketball, must watch basketball. Oh, absolutely. The way that I look at, at Atlanta right now, they just seem to find some sort of way to win. It's not a matter of they're blowing teams out by 20, 30 points in these matchups. They're winning these close, gritty games, but it's Trey Young leading the way. And no team throughout the playoffs that they've gone up against has been able to find an effective way to slow him down. I mean, this is his first playoff experience. And he's out here averaging over 30 points a game. And in the first game of the Eastern Conference Finals, he's dropping damn near 50 points. 
And he was quite efficient from the field in game one. I know he has kind of this reputation to put up a lot of shots and he's not the most efficient player at his position, but he gets it done for this team. And then when you include some of the role players that have really stepped up, John Collins had a fantastic game in game one. You've got Kevin Herter playing 36 minutes. He'll chip in 13, 15, maybe even 20 points here and there. And then you got Clint Capello down low. It's a solid four right there. And then it depends on Bogdanovich whether or not he shows up, but He's had a pretty bad postseason, in my opinion. All in all, this team, I, I got to give this team a lot of credit for getting to this point. I didn't give them much of a chance. I didn't think they were going to get past the first round, like you mentioned. But I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to put it past this team to make it to the finals. This team has all the makeup to get to the finals. I think based off of the way that the, the playoffs have worked themselves out in the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee, Milwaukee's in some trouble here. And I think Atlanta as long as they play consistent basketball and they don't turn the ball over too much, this team could go to the finals and nobody would have expected that this year. Nobody pretty much everybody had either Brooklyn penned in. It's basically going to be like a Brooklyn Lakers finals that I think a lot of people had penciled in as like the game that was going to be, or the series that was going to be played in the finals this year. And it has been completely the reverse. I for one love it because it gives a lot of these up-and-coming teams a chance to kind of make a name for themselves. And the Hawks are making the most of it. And I'm going to be honest with you, watching the Bucks play sometimes, man, it hurts to watch them sometimes. Because when they can't hit their shots, it's, it's really tough for them to generate points. Because, like, Chris Middleton, game one, 15 points. Inefficient from the field. Now, Giannis will do his thing. Giannis always will manage to put up 25, 30, or 30-plus 30 points. And they even got good contributions from Drew Holiday in game one. But if the Bucs are going to be competitive in this series, they need Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton to all play above average basketball. Because the way that I see it, you know, unless they can find a way to slow down Trey Young, they're going to have to score 110, 115 points a game. You know, that's unless, you know, they find a way to slow down Trey Young. Because if they don't, the Bucks could be in some trouble here. Yeah, no, I honestly couldn't agree more. It's actually crazy to think that the Atlanta Hawks, like a team that nobody really cared about, nobody really thought about, is currently on a great run. And these are the teams that people need to respect when they make it this far. It's always the teams that are like under the fourth seed or like teams that are like, you know, like the, the, the four or the three that everyone just predicts, you know, it's going to be the top two seeds that go all the way. And then, then you see a, a fifth seed like Atlanta carry their way through. And you're like, dude, what are you doing here? And mm-hmm. then they continue to put up shots every game. And they, they, they find a way to win gritty games, like you said. And they need to earn respect. And if I'm being completely honest, now that we're going into the prediction, I, I think I'm crazy to bet against Atlanta. But I'm trying to have some faith here that Chris Middleton can find a way to have a a resurgent game too. The man was six of 23, all of nine from the three point line. I just can't see himself having another game like that, especially not at home. I think they're going to try to get him going early. I think this is another really, really close game, but Giannis is going to go for 40. I think Drew Holiday has a back to normal game, you know, 15 to 20, but I, w- I, w- I would hope that Chris has a 25 to 30 point game. And, you know, Trey Young is due up for a bad one, you know, at least efficiency from the field, bad one. And I- I- I'm hoping that Bogdanovich can kind of get it going too, because we know when the two of those flamethrowers get it going from deep, it's a little concerning for most teams. 
So I'm going to say Milwaukee squeaks away and ties this series up in game two, but by a very, very close margin. I think the Bucs are going to win this one, and I'm going to agree with you. I think it's going to be rather close. Look, I think the Bucs got to make some defensive adjustments here, and they got to start doubling Trey because he can't go out and do what he did in game one, and Milwaukee expects to win game two. It's just not going to happen. So I think Trey is still going to have a productive game. I think he's still going to manage to put up 30, possibly even 35 points in this game, but not a 48 spot. No way. If no, Milwaukee, I don't see it happening again. If Milwaukee allows that to happen again, they are in some real trouble here. But I don't expect that to happen. I think I'm going to agree with you on this one. I think Giannis is going to put up at least 35, if not 40 points in this game. I think he's going to make an impact from the jump. And I want to see Chris Middleton step up here. Because if you remember back in the Brooklyn series, he got off to a very slow start. But that game three, he finally got it started clicking. And then he was able to knock down some shots throughout the series here and there. So I I expect Chris Middleton to have a better game than he did in game one. And I want to see Brooke Lopez step up. He only played 20 minutes in game one. He only scored seven points. In that Brooklyn series, he played some crucial minutes for them. And that one-on-one matchup between him and potentially Clint Capella, I think it's going to be an interesting one to see. I think Brooke may exploit some of the weaknesses in Clint's game and use it to his advantage. But I'm going to go with the Bucks here simply just because I mean, if they go down 2-0 in this series, I think it's a wrap. We said that about Brooklyn, so I'm not going to look too, too much into it. I just think Atlanta's on a roll right now. And unless Milwaukee counters them, I don't think any team really in the Eastern Conference, no team in the Eastern Conference has been able to slow down this team. So if the Bucs lose this one, yeah, they could be in some real trouble here. But I got the Bucs Bucs winning game two in this one. Couldn't agree more. I mean, that kind of segues us into the next, if not the only other basketball option in terms of uh, games that are currently active. Obviously, we're at that point, ladies and gentlemen, where we're on the final four teams. Obviously, the last two games or last two series before we get to the NBA finals. So it is limited NBA content in terms of, you know, game analysis. But that puts us at the Phoenix Suns with the L.A. Clippers. The Suns are currently up. Two to zero in this series. We're in the middle of game three as we speak. Phoenix is down by seven points. We'll continue to give you updates periodically as the game progresses. Um, but if I'm being honest, I did not expect Phoenix to Phoenix Phoenix to come out with a dominant 2-0 start. If I'm being bluntly honest, obviously without Chris Paul playing, uh, I definitely thought maybe a split at best. Uh, but no chance that I think that Devin Booker was going to do what he did in game one. And then to follow up with the Valley Oop, for those of you that are unaware, the inbounds pass from Jay Crowder to the game-winning Alley Oop to uh, DeAndre Ayton with 0.9 seconds on the clock. One of the greatest passes I've ever seen in basketball, let alone in postseason history. So the Suns are dominating on that aspect. But Kyle, I guess I'm just going to ask you, are the Clippers – in some shit right now because without Kawhi Leonard, it seems like they're really fine. They're struggling to find that, that go-to person. I'm actually going to disagree with you here. And here's why, because even though the Clippers were down 0-2, they're keeping these games close, even in game one, granted it was a back and forth game for the most part, but the Suns were kind of able to make a late game stretch where they were able to blow it out to a 10 point lead. And in that game, that was a pretty substantial lead, but Even without Kawhi Leonard in the lineup, this team is playing up to snuff against who I think could be 
the winner of the entire NBA season when it's all said and done, just because I think the Suns are that well-rounded of a team. They're that good. But I got to give some credit to Tyron Lou for being able to get these guys in decent positions and giving themselves a chance against a really good team in Phoenix. Now, I know a lot of people are going to harp on the two free throws in game two that Paul George missed at the end of the game. Pandemic P. He had to, he had to make those shots. I'm not going to excuse that, but up until that point, he was making some clutch shots in the fourth quarter. And I think before Devin Booker hit a shot with maybe like 10, 15 seconds left to put him up one or to cut it to, I forget what the the lead was. Paul George knocked down a a mid-range jumper right before that. So, you know, granted, it's a lot different without Kawhi in the lineup because everybody else is going to step up. But I don't necessarily think the Clippers are out of it yet. Granted, game three is still going on, and currently they're up by six in the middle of the third quarter. So if they're able to kind of just turn their way through the series, kind of just chip away and try to get some decent buckets here and there and play some good perimeter defense against Dev, I think they'll be okay. It's just Dev's it's good. playing really bad right now. I know, and and you got to give a lot of credit for them stepping up the defensive pressure on Dev, because even before Dev injured his nose, he was struggling from the field pretty mightily. So the way that I see it is, if the Clippers can play some solid defense, and they're they can knock down some opportunistic shots, I think that's going to be their best recipe. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think Kawhi's coming back. I think he's. I don't either. I, I, think, I think his torn. playoffs is over. I think his I think playoffs is over. So, you know, that's something that we're definitely going to have to pay attention to. But when you lose Kawhi Leonard, you would just automatically assume that this team would just give up and not really have a shot against a team like the Suns. That's not happening here. I mean, they lost game one by six points, and they lost by one point in game two. So they're playing as best as they can. They're they're just not making some late-game shots, and that's what's hurting them. But I think in game three, the way that they've been playing so far, playing good defense, scoring opportunistic, opportunistic shots, I think that's going to have to be the winning formula for them because I think they're going to have to win these games in a gritty fashion. Yeah, there's not really many. There's no other option. LA's got to find a way to step up. Um, Paul George has got to shake off those two late free throws. That's going to carry with him pretty much throughout the entireness of his career, in my opinion. Um, those are two shots during an NBA playoff series in which you're already down uh, 1-0 and you're about to go back home and you just you just butcher two free throws. And I mean, Paul George is a relatively good free throw shooter in his career. I believe he's over an 80% free throw shooter. So you look at that situation and it's just like the name pandemic P playoff, whatever you want to call him just seems to really be affecting him because he just cannot get it going consistently. There are games where he looks unguardable and then there are games where he just looks lackluster to, to, to say the literal least. It's, it's almost like um, crash and burn. Basically, it's it's just it's atrocious. So I'm looking at this game right now, and I'm looking at the game cast. Um, for whatever reason, I can't watch it on my laptop. I'm logged into my provider, and it's just not letting me. So thank you, Xfinity. Um, Phoenix is down by ten, and they're the, the the two best scorers on uh, Phoenix are just playing absolutely atrocious. Chris Paul is three of thirteen. Uh, Devin Booker just got a double technical with Pat Bev. And it, I believe I saw last I saw he was two of 11. So it's just, it's not looking good. Uh, DeAndre Eaton's leading the way with Phoenix at, with 12 and six. And then, you know, you look at the other side of the court and 
freaking Zubak is the second leading scorer on this team for LA. He's got 15 and 12. So, Paul George has got 17 and nine already. So it's, it, it's early, but it does seem like LA is kind of ca- Oh yeah. Oh my God. LA just went up again. LA just went up 13. Cam Johnson just had back-to-back turnovers. You hate to see it. So, Oh, Paul George has 20. Holy sh! Oh, it is. It is popping off. Damn. Guys, you're getting it live. I mean, like, we're not watching the game, but this game cast is literally just the shot chart for the Clippers right now is just taken off. They're having a 23-point quarter, and the Phoenix Suns only have eight points in the quarter right now. So it's just not looking good. And there's still, uh, but like, again, four and a half minutes left in the quarter, too. It's just, wow. It's kind of scary, actually, when you really look at it. But nevertheless, it is what it is um, in the series as a whole. If I have to make a prediction on who's going to win this game, just based off the trajectory of how it's going, I know it's irrelevant, and you know I could end up being wrong. Phoenix could have a historic comeback. I just think LA is kind of clicking in all cylinders, and Chris Paul being out eleven days from basketball activities with him having COVID, I believe that took a big toll on his production tonight. And I think with Devin Booker having the mask on his face, I think that took a toll on his inability, uh, his ability to score the basketball as well. Jay Crowder's in foul trouble. So they really are just shouldering all of the, the weight on, you know, Mikel Bridges and DeAndre Ayton, and that's just – that's not their forte. So mm-hmm. we'll just have to play it by ear and see what happens. But this series looks like it's going to end up turning around to be a, a relatively good one. And just imagine if Kawhi was playing of how competitive that this could potentially be. So I'm excited. I'm happy that Phoenix is doing what they're doing. And, you know, let's just hope that they can continue it because I do – like like Ty, like Tyree said the other day, I definitely don't want the Clippers in the finals. Or you could see them get to the finals and then they can lose. I don't want to see it. I don't want them to do it. Oh, my God, 71. Boy, dude, yeah, the, Suns I told, I told you. the Suns can't hit a shot. I told you, don't, don't sleep on the Clippers. Like, even though they no. lost these first two games, they're playing competitive in these games. Say otherwise, I think it's capping. Garbage, bro. I've literally looked at this. It's you know how everybody knows how GameCast on ESPN works. It's literally dot X, dot X. And all I see is X's all around the Suns, and the Clippers are hitting almost everything. They have 25 points in the quarter. The Suns have eight. Yeah. That is not a that is not a formula for success. So I mean, guys, we're not gonna sit here and go play by play with with freaking dots and whatnot. So we're gonna kind of move on from this. Uh, I'm, I actually, Kyle, I, I, I gave a genuine little tiny prediction on what the potential outcome of this game could be. So, I mean, I, I guess I'll just ask you, the way this is going, who do you think is going to win this game? The Clippers won this one. I kind of made I kind of made my points about I'm not really necessarily worried about the Clippers simply just because they've been fairly competitive in both of these games on the road. Now that both of these next games are home for them, I think there's a very good chance that this series goes back to Phoenix in game five with it being 2-2. And that's despite having Kawhi Leonard out of the lineup. So granted, game three looks pretty good as far as in the favor for the Clippers. And I'll say this, though. If the Clippers win this one, there's going to be some pressure on Phoenix to get this game four. So they're going to have to get better production from Dev because Dev in game two, and it's so far... In game three, he struggled. I know Chris Paul. Thirteen. I know Chris Paul has been out of the mix for the last week and a half due to COVID protocol. But I've seen a couple of his shots that he took in the first couple minutes of the game, and he definitely looks rusty. So they may have to rely a little bit more on Aiton and maybe some of these role players such as Mikael Bridges, 
Cameron Johnson, Cameron Payne. You know, these guys are going to have to step up. I mean, Cameron Payne stepped up huge for the Suns in Phoenix, in Phoenix in game two. So I think going into game four, I don't know if you can necessarily necessarily rely on Dev to be efficient from the field like he has throughout most of the playoffs. Chris Paul to be efficient as well from the field simply because he's been out of the lineup for a week and a half. So that's going to leave opportunities for Cameron Payne to make the most of the opportunity that he has. So, and campaigns hurt. He rolled his ankle right before the half pretty bad too. And he slammed his hands on his lap. I don't know if that means he's out. I haven't seen him come in in the third uh, so far. So, I mean, I, I, I think he might be out with that ankle injury. He rolled it pretty bad. It looked like at least with, with my eyes. It, it's I'm not saying that, that the Suns are like dead in the water here. The, no, no, still no, 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 no. It's just, you know, they got to play the cards right because I'll be honest with you without Kawhi Leonard in the lineup, that seems like a fairly advantageous situation for the Phoenix Suns here. And the fact that the Clippers are playing them this tough, man, this is, this is going to be a little bit more difficult for the Suns than I think that they possibly realize without Kawhi in the lineup. Oh, well, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm, I, Monty said it in the intermission between the, the first and second quarter. He said that the, the, the team knew that L.A. is going to be a tough, gritty matchup with or without Kawhi. And, you know, that they are a fierce defensive team, again, with or without Kawhi. And they're, they're I think, historically, these are the best two free throw shooting teams in NBA history in terms of team overall statistics for a season. So they both know that they have the ability to knock down, you know, clutch free throws at the end of games minus one pandemic P. Uh, <laughs> and, that, you know, they're both good defensive teams with up and coming offensive superstars. So, I mean, I am very... Again, like I said, I'm very excited to see the series go far there, but I am disappointed with how Phoenix is kind of going off with it too. It seems that I didn't even realize Devin has four fouls too, so that doesn't help him. He can't really get into a rhythm. So we'll just have to play this one by ear, ladies and gentlemen. Like it's it's Thursday today. This episode will come out tomorrow, so the next game will be Saturday. So we'll probably be able to give you guys maybe a rundown Sunday night, Sunday evening, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how this series is is progressively going, but. That's about it in terms of NBA content of live games. We'll get into the head coaching thing next after this. Me and Kyle really wanted to touch on this really quick. We actually recorded a little bit of a segment with Tyree, but for whatever reason, the file ended up corrupting. We weren't able to post the initial, uh, the initial thoughts on it. So the MLB implemented a substance check available to both teams at any point in time. I believe the starting pitchers can get checked multitudes of times. And I believe bullpen pitchers can get checked once an inning. I think if I'm remembering it correctly, um, the umpire basically goes up to the mound and checks your hat, your glove, your belt to see if you have anything within that, within your, you know, your belt line, if you have any sticky substances or anything of that sort. And if the umpires find that you do have anything that could be considered an illegal substance, you are immediately ejected from said game. And then you are suspended for 10 games. I had said this already last week. I'm already more frustrated than I was when the rule first came out because we've already seen in just a few days how frustrating major league pitchers have been getting. So I'm going to let Kyle kind of take point on this one. Kyle, you played the damn sport most of your life. You know the ins and outs of how it goes. Tell me tell me, I'm crazy and that, 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 that this isn't bullshit because this is just getting out of hand. I mean, when I looked at Max Scherzer – when I saw him physically and verbally frustrated 
with the umps constantly checking him for this substance check. It, it just kind of ruins the integrity of the game because Max Scherzer has been one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball for about the last decade. This guy really doesn't have much to prove left as far as his pitching career goes. He's been solid for a decade plus. And there's a part of me that thinks two ways on this. One is, is that Rob Manfred is just finding new ways to ruin the game. I know we mentioned it a couple months ago with putting a runner on second to start extra innings. I think that is completely BS. And this just adds to it. It slows the game down, which is exactly the opposite that Major League Baseball is trying to do. They're trying to speed these games up. And it's going to irritate the players. It's going to irritate the coaches. And it's going to irritate the fans because this is mostly nonsense. Now, have there been some specific instances where guys have cheated in the past while using a substance on their body or on their hat or whatever? Yes. But to constantly check it almost on a routine basis, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. And there's the second part of me, and this is kind of the more, I guess, more devious side of things, is I wonder if some of these opposing coaches are going to use these substance abuse check, not substance abuse, these substance checks against the pitchers that they're going up against to throw them off their game. That's what I kind of got from the, the Phillies nationals matchup, because I'm pretty sure when I looked at Scherzer walking back to the dugout, he gave Joe Girardi a pretty mean death stare in the process when he was headed back to the, to the um, dugout. So Granted, I don't like to think like that because it seems pretty devious as far as my mindset goes, but I would not put it past some of these coaches to use these substance checks to get some sort of an advantage to throw the opposing pitcher off of their game. No, I, I, I wouldn't put it past you. It's almost like an unfair advantage with the timeout. It's, it's like when a coach is challenged, it's a free timeout basically for the offense to get back together in any sport. Um, but to literally sit here and tell me, when a pitcher gets checked and he passes that check and you have literally the next inning and he gets checked again, do you really think knowing that he was just checked that he's going to be stupid enough to put something on himself again, whether that's the wrist, the hat, the glove, the belt, come on. Yeah. It's, it's, it's getting stupid. It's not just Scherzer. There were plenty of pitchers this past week that were getting checked to the point where they were almost willing to strip down and take their pants off just to shut the opposing coaches up. I mean, for God's sakes, Scherzer threw his hat down. Scherzer threw the glove down. Scherzer unbuckled his pants and his teammates had to basically convince him to to, to keep his pants on. Dude, it, 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 it slows the game down. Like Kyle said, you're literally getting a free timeout out of it. And, and these pitchers are, that are just dominating Scherzer, Kershaw, Cole, the, the, the pitchers that have been doing it for years and years and years now magically, because you get some power, you're just going to be like, you know what? He struck out like three or four people in the last two. And it's like, check him for a substance. These people have gifted movement on pitches. And granted, I understand that illegal substances have been around for a very, very long time. And people definitely do use more than the rosin bag. And, and other things that are legal in the MLB. You know, we do have pine tar that are hidden in certain places. We have had video evidence over the last couple of seasons where pitchers 
are taking advantage of being able to hide things in certain places. But to give the umpire 100% control of the situation is just stupid. Who are you to tell the man that is literally throwing hundreds of miles an hour consistently at the mound, if not, you know, just shy of 100, to say that, you know what, you're playing a little too good. You got to be cheating. Like, what? What? Come on, man. That just seems absolutely atrociously stupid. And I I completely agree with you, Kyle. This whole Rob Manfred situation, I think he's got to be out. I've hated him since the ruling of the Astros situation. You already know that. And then we're going to sit here and we're going to we're going to throw people on second to, to, to minimize baseball or to, 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 to minimize the time of baseball. We're going to we're going to put double headers and cut them into seven inning games if they're back to back. And then now this this substance abuse check or this, this illegal substance check. It, he is like 0 for 56 since becoming the commissioner of baseball. And I am just absolutely fed up with him. I think this is ruining the game. You're definitely losing the, oh, wow, Paul George just hit a half-court shot to end the third, so it is 69-80. Where was I going with that? Oh, you're now ruining baseball as a whole. You're you're losing the fans' attention. You're you're literally one of the – you're one of the last major league sports in terms of uh, viewership and revenue and you're going to sit here now and you're going to make the game that much more complicated and you already have people upset with some of your previous rulings and now you're going to jump into you know what take a free time out guys you know what just 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 stop the game he's too good let's go check him and 10 games with pay who the hell are the umpires to decide that that is just absolutely stupid that could be sweat that could be a number of different things rosin i don't know it's a waste of time to continue trying to get over this or, you know, explain this. I just think that the the MLB is is only hurting themselves in terms of audience and fan viewership, because this, this is just terrible. I think a lot of times they're just chasing ghosts when it comes to these checks, because nine times out of 10, these guys are going to pretty much end up cleared as far as these checks go. And I will say this, the, the only time that these umpires should really be checking the pitchers for some sort of cheating issue that's taking place during the game is if it's, blatantly apparent like there has to be a decent amount of reason to question the integrity of the pitcher that's pitching that he may be using some sort of substance to gain an advantage but if you're just going to check the guy because the opposing coach asked for it or you get the suspicion that hey this guy may be cheating i think that's putting entirely too much power in the hands of the umpires and I just don't think it's going to go anywhere positive for the league overall. It, it should be maybe one or two checks per game, like a challenge, just one or two for the whole game, not I, I, two or three for the starter, one per bullpen. I, I don't even think I, I don't even think it's necessary during the game unless I, I don't, it's I absolutely blatant. Unless it has I agree to be completely. But at this point, if you're going to continue to ruin each game, we've seen it all week. There's been multitudes of pitchers and, and situational checks. Like, come on, man. If you're going to make the rule, at least limit the rule. Don't don't give basically free reign the entire game for an umpire to just be like, I'm going to check you out real quick. Come on, yeah. man. Or at least wait until like the end of the inning, like bro. Wait till the end of the like inning. Who was the, who was the one? Um, you might remember the guy's name. Who was the one guy in the Yankees that had that had that substance on his neck? Oh, that the was Red Sox. Uh, Michael Michael Pineda. Yeah, that was bad. Like that one. Yeah, that was that was stupid. That one. Come on, 
like you're making it way too easy for the umpire to make that call. That I mean, was blatant. No, hundred percent. That but was that, just but, stupid but, on his part. But that's what I mean. It has to be blatant. And granted, I don't know what these guys do. These guys could be trying to get little advantages here and there, but I mean, to them, for them to get checked all the time, I think is just ludicrous. So yeah, Tre- Trevor Bauer had his statements. I'm not going to go into depth with that. I know we had that segment. It didn't get recorded. It didn't get posted. But for for those of you that are curious, Trevor Bauer had some statements post uh, post game. I forgot who the Dodgers were playing, but they, they baseball tonight. I don't. So baseball tonight's only on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. So it had to be one of those nights. Um, somebody asked him a question, one of the crew, and he kind of went off on a tangent saying he's been in contact with the MLB for years about things like this. And if, if, if the MLB is going to critique on pitching substances versus the Astros cheating, then, you know, baseball as a whole needs to be reevaluated. He's just an amazing individual. He's an amazing player. And, you know, he's very well spoken as well as very verbal. I respect him and I love him for it. But if you guys want to see what I'm talking about, look it up. Trevor Bauer talks, you know, Trevor Bauer speaks to MLB ruling or whatever on YouTube. You'd have to look it up. It, it's a good couple minute watch. And he kind of breaks down everything that the MLB players as a whole are probably thinking. And, and he demonstrates very well that he pitched about seven or eight innings that game doesn't use substance and the ball stuck right to his hand because he uses a lot of rosin and his hand is absolutely covered in sweat, but it goes to show that it is very possible for a ball to look like it's stuck or being, you know, illegally used to a certain extent. But when you have that combination of a sticky substance like rosin that is allowed and sweat, these, these baseballs are going to 100% find ways to stick to you. So um, check that out if you guys already have it. But I, I, that, that's, that's all I got to really say about it, man. I'm just getting more and more mad about it the, the more we talk about it it. It, it. it just it ruins the integrity of the game. It's mm-hmm. just that plain and simple. Because yeah. I think it's just absolutely unnecessary. I mean, you and I talked, that, talked about that extensively before we recorded. Yeah. It's just so, it's, it's extremely unnecessary. But yeah. to kind of wrap up oh. the episode real quick, we'll kind of transition back into the NBA a little bit. So there have been some coaching moves that are – that have already happened or are potentially going to happen within the next couple of days or so. So we did have Rick Carlisle, former head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. He will now become the head coach for the Indiana Pacers. Kev, just let me get your quick take on this one. You, this is the former coach of your team. And, you know, what do you think Rick Carlisle could do with the core that's in Indiana already? Well, you know, shout out to Rick want nothing but good and happiness, you know, health for his family and whatnot, of course, did a lot for the Mavericks. So shout out to you getting that four year, $29 million deal. Um, Rick and Larry Bird are very similar in terms of mindset. Rick is very structured. Larry likes it done a specific way. Uh, Larry has an envisionment for a team over there in Indiana for a particular reason. And obviously we know that Rick Carlisle likes things done a specific way on the court. So uh, I, I definitely think that he's going to be able to help Levert take the next steps to go to the next level. Obviously, we know Brogdon is there and uh, Miles Turner if he resigns. So that and, and obviously we have Savonis too, the All Star out of Indiana. So I think that utilizing all of those players as a cohesive unit, I think that he's going to be able to take them to that next level. Uh, we do know that they have kind of been comedic the last few years between Victor Oladipo being hurt the majority of his last couple of. Uh, years there and then obviously uh, Levert came over in the trade and ended up having his surgery Uh, so we you know 
we'll see what happens in terms of health. I think that's been the Pacers' biggest enemy over the last couple of seasons. Obviously, we all know Paul George had that tragic injury uh, a few years back at USA camp, and he missed the, the whole next season. So let's hope for some good fortune on the health aspect of it. Rick Carlisle's a great coach. He knows how to get things done. He's a championship coach. And uh, I think he's going to be able to take them to that, from that, that bottom tier to maybe that middle of the pack. He's just, he's a vet, man. He knows how to do it. He knows how to communicate. He's a player's coach. And I couldn't be happier for him, if I'm honest with you. Indiana's a young team. Indiana's up and coming. And I, I think he's a perfect fit. I think it's a good move for Indiana. And it's going to be interesting to see how Rick Carlisle is able to kind of form this team to the way he wants them to as we get closer to the season. So granted, you got Miles Turner coming back into the fold. I know he was hurt throughout last season. So getting him I back. I think he might point, be a free agent, isn't he? It depends if they want to bring him back, but. I would hope so. You know, you got some decent players to kind of build around here. TJ Warren every now and then has shown some flashes throughout his he NBA He was hurt last career. year too. Yep. Then you got Karis LeVert who dealt with that, that kidney issue that popped up in his physical after the trade from Brooklyn to Indiana. And then they've got some decent role players. Granted, the, the last time that I remember Jeremy Lamb, he made this wild like half-court shot with Toronto, but ever since then, he's been kind of up and down ever since he left from Charlotte. But I think, I think Rick could actually do a pretty good job with this team. I don't know if it's a good – I don't think it's going to necessarily be top of the Eastern Conference. I think that's a little bit too – a little too much for me to say there, but do I think that this team could be a middle of the pack team in the Eastern conference within his first season coaching Indiana? I think that's a realistic expectation. So it just depends on whether or not these guys are healthy and ready to go going into the next season. Like you mentioned, whether or not miles Turner stays or goes, but I guess we'll find it. I guess we'll find out when the season starts, but all in all, I think it's a good move. Yeah, and I was wrong. I looked up the contract. Miles Turner's locked up for another year or two. So, my bad, guys. I don't know why. I thought I heard something about a rumor of maybe him leaving. So well, maybe, he, maybe that he might been. be. He might be if Indiana starts pursuing trade rumors for Ben. Uh well, I well, we'll see what happens in that regard. Ben Simmons is a whole other category in itself. I mean, we could talk about him really quick yeah. um, after we talk about the next coaching move. So, uh, Ime Udoka is going to be the next coach of the Boston Celtics, former NBA player, former assistant coach of the Nets and the Spurs and so on and so forth. Um, I'm not going to lie to anybody. I definitely did not see that coming. I didn't even know he was a candidate. Um, I asked Kyle if he even remembered him playing for the Spurs. And Kyle, before the episode, was like, no, I don't. So uh, definitely a curious hiring, I guess, by the Celtics. Brad Stevens apparently really liked him, said he built a lot of traction in was following uh, his coaching methods out there in Brooklyn this last this past season. And um, they really fell in love with him. I guess the interview went really good. And I guess that, uh, you know, they felt he was a good fit. I don't know the exact details of the contract like Rick's, but um, he is at least led to be or expected to be the next coach of the Boston Celtics. I mean, I, I would love to ask your opinion, but I don't have an opinion of my own because I he doesn't have any coaching experience. So I mean, like, this could go one of two ways for the Celtics, like with two superstars or at least one superstar and one up and coming superstar Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Do you think that a rookie head coach was a smart move for Boston? Well, it seems to me that Brad Stevens was already 
out the door, so to speak, when making the transition into the general manager role. But here's what I'll say. So it's Emate Udoko, right? I don't want to get his name wrong. Yeah. Okay. So here's what I want to see is can he get this team to that next step? Can this team go from a potentially a middle of the pack team? That's basically kind of where I see them right now in the Eastern Conference to the top. This team has the players to make that happen in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They, what was that? Sabo got a piece of my chair off and he decided to try to eat it right in front of me. Oh, thank God I heard him chewing. Nice. My dog is out like a light right next to me. I would love for my dog to be asleep right now, but no, he's trying to eat things and die right next to me. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's really comfortable on the carpet right here. So. He's chill, but I really got to keep an eye on you. I apologize. No, but I mean, with the Udoka signing, look, it's like I said, you know, can he take that next step for this team? Because this team has, I would just be honest with you. This team has underperformed under the expectations that I had for them. You know, granted they had the, the one Easter conference finals run, I want to say about two, three years ago in the 2018, 2019 playoffs. I might be screwing up the years there. But ever since then, they've fallen short. And this year, they were just mired in mediocrity. They just could never get in a consistent rhythm this year. And I hope that Udoka can get them back on the right path because this team with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, this team, if they play their cards right and they add some decent role players around those guys, this team could be a finals contending team. It's just, you know, is Udoka the guy to lead them? And granted, I think Boston's going to be in a kind of a tricky situation this offseason because, well, we already know that Kemba's out. So mm-hmm. Marcus Smart is on the block. So, you know, but I mean, Jason and Jalen are going to be the two constants there. I want to see them get a big man. If they can find a they way, they got to Al Horford back, maybe. Yeah, you really think it's going to do anything big for them? No, <laughs> no, they need to get somebody to just own the paint down low, and maybe, maybe Udoka kind of sees that because the team has been lacking a big man, really ever since KG, and if they think that Tristan Thompson is going to be the guy to really hold it down for them at that four to five spot, it's not going to happen. So, but all in all, you know. Congratulations to the Yudoka for getting the the job. And just hope he makes the most of it. It's really all I can say. Yeah, no, I mean, 100%. I'm happy for him. Um, does not, I don't know enough about him to really say that he's going to be good or bad. So I'm definitely just curious with his inexperience at the head coaching position with two stars that are very young and a, and a, and a relatively young Celtic team this was the smartest move for Brad Stevens to go down rather than maybe sign a veteran head coach who can maybe mold those young players into better players like a Rick Carlisle. But, you know, Brad Stevens seems to know what he's doing and, you know, he seems to have a good idea of what it is that he wants for this team. And, you know, only time will tell in that regard. So I guess, you know, we'll just have to play it by ear there. And then uh, I guess the last coaching subject is, is a sensitive one for me. Jason Kidd is potentially going to be the head coach of the Mavericks by the end of the week, maybe over the weekend. Um, we're looking to hire, uh, I think a GM from Nike, believe it or not, to be the president of basketball operations. If you could just give me a second. Um, I'm not happy about the Jason Kidd potential signing. 
Um, I don't think that that's exactly what we needed. I, I'm not happy about it. You know, Luca expressed his needs and what he wanted to be the head coach and our assistant coach. And it doesn't seem like Dallas is taking him into consideration, which is going to make our superstar not happy. He's obviously in Slovenia right now doing what he needs to do for the Olympics in his country. So, I mean, like, the, the, the Nico Harrison is apparently going to be the GM of the Mavericks if that were to end today. And then Jason Kidd is probably going to be the coach. So, it's a touchy subject for me. Uh, Michael Finley's in the front office. He's been in the front office for some time. Dirk just signed on to be an advisor. Jason Kidd, if he is the head coach, that would kind of be the trifecta. We drafted all three players. All three players contributed to the Mavericks organization. Obviously, Finley played in the 2006 squad. Oh, no, he didn't. He did not. He was actually on the Spurs. Uh, Finley contributed his earlier years as a Maverick, and then Dirk and Jason Kidd won a championship for the Mavericks. So some are saying it comes around full circle. People are saying, let's run it back. I don't think Jason Kidd is the coach for a player like Frank, like Luka Doncic. I don't think that he's going to help. I mean, he's had his opportunities out in Brooklyn and that, that was just very underperforming. Obviously we know how that kind of panned out with Darren Williams, Andre, uh, what's his name, Joe Johnson and so on and so forth. So Again, like I've said, pretty much the majority of this episode seems to be my catchphrase. Time will tell. We'll see what happens. I mean, things could fall apart. We know the NBA is the king of sports in terms of rumors, and then they end up falling through. So I can't say that we've heard of crazier stories or crazier topics. But, I mean, do you think Jason Kidd's going to be a good fit for Luca? Is it going to be the question I have to you? Did you hear that, buddy? Kev's concerned about Jason Kidd. He's not oh, happy Jesus about it. Christ. Leave Max out of this. Um, listen, you're the Mavs fan here, so I'm going to kind of rely on your expertise with this one. Um, I don't know if Jason Kidd's going to be the right guy for the job here, but I mean, it really kind of depends on where this team wants to go. If they kind of want to side with Luca, they'll kind of, I guess, make more of a push to, to hire a guy that Luca wants running or would prefer at the head coach spot, but you don't really know. I mean, them going after Jason Kidd kind of indicates that's kind of the opposite. So it's, it's like I said, um, it seems to me that they're actually moving on this fairly quickly. So Big time to the same thing, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that by the weekend we may hear about that head coaching spot in Dallas filled, whether it's Jason Kidd or somebody else, but. From yeah, what we got to do the from, GM spot first. That's what everybody's saying. Once the from, GM spot lands, then we'll go after the coach. From, from what I've heard from Woj, it seems like they're going to make a pretty big push for, for Kid here. So I don't understand why. It, it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on your expertise here though. For the yeah, most part. I just this doesn't make sense. Apparently, people are also trying to stretch this rumor that Dallas is going to give up everything we own to go after Damian Lillard because Damian wanted a kid to be his head coach and just Mavericks fans being stupid out here trying to stretch the truth or, you know, kind of pray for a, a savior. Damian Lillard ain't going to save this team. We have a lot of issues in itself. And if we give away the entire roster for one player, that's not going to do dick for us. So 
it is what it is at this point. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just going to have to wait and see. I really thought Michael Finley would have been the next player or the next person up in terms of the organization to go out and get this, you know, GM or president of operations spot since he's been with the front office for a while now. And it seems that we're just kind of overlooking him, which doesn't seem smart to me. And then, uh, oh, the Canadians are going to the Stanley Cup. They just beat Vegas. Yep. My dad's wow, pissed about that one. That's crazy. Didn't see that coming. That's uh, but, yeah, that's that's all I got on the subject, if I'm being completely honest. Um, I know we just touched on Ben Simmons. If you wanted to give your opinion on him and what the hell is going to happen in this offseason, because that boy need to work on a lot of shit, man. Otherwise, he's he's going to be sent over to OKC along with everybody else. <laughs> Well, I think Ben's going to have to make this decision of whether or not that he's going to be this quote-unquote superstar that a lot of people throw this label around like to attach to him. Yeah. I don't see it. I don't. Granted, he's a lockdown defender. It's kind of indicative of that since he was in like the top three, top four for defensive player of the year. But Ben can't shoot consistently. And no, he can't shoot at all. There's no consistency. He can't shoot at all. <laughs> until that gets fixed, I don't know what use a lot of teams are going to have for him. So the way that I look at it right now, I don't think Philly can really even trade him because you really think teams are looking that high on Ben Simmons right now after yes. the performance that he had this this past postseason? I wouldn't. Yeah. Yes. I would Apparently, be. Apparently, there were, there was a report today. I forget who I'd be it was desperate. from. I mean, they got to be they, desperate. Somebody said something about there's a lot of teams inquiring about his availability and Daryl Moore or Maury or whatever. And then Rich Paul had a, a sit down and they talked about Ben's potential future. And they said that they have no plans to move, move from Ben. But they did say and emphasize that Ben will be in the gym a lot more this summer than he has been in past seasons to work on that shooting. So it, it's we, gonna be we've seen GMs lie. We've seen GMs lie before. So I'm not going to say anything. I, I, I honestly, I just, just think that Ben should probably just take the summer to just work on his craft. I mean, defensively, it's not an issue. And his, the way that he facilitates the ball is not an issue here. But as a basketball player, you got to shoot. And, I mean, he doesn't even take threes. And, I mean, the defense will give him all the space in the world to take up those three-point shots. And he's just not confident whatsoever to take them. I mean, if anything – you know, just start small. Work on just a mid-range jumper. He doesn't have to be – you don't have to go out and shoot it damn near 45 50%. But if you could shoot close to like 35 40% and then just kind of build upon it from there, it seems like something that could work out for him in the long run. But the way that I see it right now, if, if teams are really considering about trading for Ben, they better hope that their shooting department could really kind of get him up to speed because putting him in a new system, in a new city – it may not be best for Ben. I think, honestly, Ben's best bet is to stay in Philly and just work through these issues. I, I wouldn't be surprised yet. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. Um, ben just needs to literally stop messing around and, and focusing on these trick shots and, and all these other things that he works on in the post in, in the offseason. There was this video. Um, you remember the, the summer where we had Hoodie, Hoodie Mellow and everybody was hyping it up for the next season. There was a there was a couple of videos of I guess Ben working out with some other NBA players, in which he was pulling up pretty much all over the court, whether that was a three point shot, a midi fadeaway, uh, hesitation, you know, half spin pull up, and he was hitting them. 
And then, you know, what we got this season, which was nowhere near that. And obviously Ben shot, like, I think an NBA low 32% from the free throw line this season, or should I say in the postseason, which is just atrocious. He shot less of a percentage than two entire franchises in the postseason, which is just insane when you really think about it. And he's just a complete liability in the fourth quarter because of his inability not only to shoot, but to knock down free throws. So, I mean, when you have your second best player, your second most expensive player off the court, it, it just seems like, you know, he's useless in close game situations, which is just not something you want to hear. Not only a coach, but, but fans and analysts say too, like, how do you, how does, how does that flow? You know, your, your second best player can't be on the floor because he's a liability, not only from the free throw line, but everywhere that is in the paint. And it's crazy. It's just so perplexing. Like, I think Ben's a good dude. It's just, in these moments, like you can't even put him in end of the game situations here because he can't shoot free throws and he's just not, he's a liability offensively. And like, I want to see Ben succeed. Like, I don't want the, I don't want this to get lost in translation. You know, the best thing that could happen in this situation is Ben just goes out and hoops, but man, it, it's just tough to watch him play offense sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rough. If it's not a it, fast it, break, it, it's it, almost it, like he's not scoring. You know, and, and I don't get any satisfaction about saying that. Like, you know, I want to see Ben succeed. I, the dude has skills. But if he could just hone in on his offense just a little bit better, I think he could take that leap that I think a lot of people were kind of expecting him to take when he was coming out of LSU. I just don't think it's going to happen, man. If I'm being honest, if you're already five, six years into this league, you haven't even made any inclination of an increase or a, a, a try to change your mindset and let alone improve your jump shots at this point. I don't think you're going to do it. Like Giannis has worked on it every year and at least he's getting a little bit more confident to shoot and he's still putting up shots, even though they're, he's uncomfortable with it. Ben yeah. is not doing any of that. You know, granted it does take Giannis 10 seconds to shoot a free throw. Maybe more depending on who you ask like James Harden, but nevertheless, it's neither here nor there. Um, that's about it, guys. That's a wrap for us today. It is a little on the later side than we had originally anticipated. Completely my own fault. Uh, final updates on this game was about four and a half minutes to go. The Clippers are up 13. Uh, it just seems like Phoenix is throwing up garbage to try to catch up late in game. Devin Booker's 5-21. Chris Paul's 4-17. And the list kind of goes on and on from there. But it just like I said, looks like the Clippers are going to run away with this one, unfortunately. So um, unfortunately. that'll be t- – I, I want I want the Suns to win. You know, I just I really want Devin Booker and Chris Paul to get a ring together. I just really want Devin Booker to get it. I don't give a shit about Chris Paul, but um, I want Cam Johnson to get a ring too. If I'm being honest, my dog from UNC boys. So that's about it for me. Uh, as always, thank you guys for the support. You know, we are at 174 subscribers. I believe we 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 gained one and then we lost one once we hit 175. So to that person, appreciate you for dipping. <laughs> Couldn't be here without people like you. And, uh, you know, if you're not already subscribed, please do like, comment the video. We're here for it. We're ready for it. And we, uh, we're we just here to bring you guys the best content that we can every day. There's not much more I could add to that. Max, you want to say bye, buddy? There you go. All right. Max, Max is paying attention to the camera. He knows what's up. Yeah. Sobbles in a cone. So dog just got neutered. He's been a little bit of a pain. Yep. Worry, mess. That got taken care of way before we got you. So never had to worry about the cone with you. But yeah, like Kevin said, 
I just we appreciate the support wherever we can get it, whether it's on the audio side of things with Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the video side of things on YouTube. Any sort of support that we can get, we definitely appreciate it. I mean, going into next week, it's mostly going to be NBA content. We're going to get into probably the second half of these Eastern and Western Conference Finals matchups. And then, hey, we got to talk a little bit about the Stanley Cup. The Stanley Cup is coming next week. And we got a yeah, game. And we got we got a game seven taking place, I believe, the Lightning tomorrow between yeah the Lightning and the Islanders. And that's I saw that be, game six collapse. I saw that game. They were up two zero. Crazy. They were up two nothing, and they gave it up. So hey, give the Islanders credit though. You know they were down. They lost to the Lightning eight nothing in game five, and that's a hell of a gut check to come back from that. To come hey, back from two it. nothing down to win 3-2 in the last game in that arena. That's pretty big for the Islanders. So the momentum may be on their side there. And I think um, if the Lightning aren't careful, it's going to be quite a matchup between these two teams to, to see whether or not the Lightning go to the, they go to the Stanley Cup Finals or the Islanders do. So it's going to be a very fun matchup to watch, and I will definitely pay, be paying attention to it. Oh, yeah. going to be a good one for sure. But with that said, stop, you guys, stop. With that said, you guys, that'll wrap it up from here. Like we said already, we just appreciate the support wherever we can get it. And we will see you guys next week. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.